If I was to ask you the difference between a sermon and a lecture, what would your answer be? We were asked that question in seminary during preaching class, and as I studied this passage this week, I thought about that question. What is the difference between a sermon and a lecture? How would you answer that? Well, I can tell you that many men have answered that question over the years. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the difference between a sermon and a lecture is that a sermon must be delivered now. A lecture can be delivered anytime. There is a sense of urgency with a sermon because it must be delivered now. But with a lecture, it can be delivered any time, in any place, in any classroom. But with a sermon behind the sacred desk, the pulpit, there must be a sense of urgency. The scripture calls the man of God, which when you study the New Testament, man of God is always referred to the one who opens the scripture and proclaims the word of God. There must be a sense of urgency. Paul said to Titus, who was one such man of God, in Titus chapter 2, verse 15, he said, Reprove, rebuke, and teach the word of God, prescribe the word of God with all authority. Authority. We're going to look at authority. And we're going to look at the man, Christ Jesus, who preached with all authority. And so there's a sense of urgency in Jesus' voice when he opens the Bible, the scripture that he had, the Old Testament, in the synagogue, and he began to expound it. It wasn't a lecture. It couldn't be given any time. It had to be given now. And as he went into Capernaum, as we'll see, he delivered messages now. Richard Baxter, the Puritan, said, well known, you probably heard it. He said, I will preach as a dying man to dying men. Well, in Capernaum... The man sent to die for men preached with a sense of urgency and authority. And we'll see that this morning as we continue through the Gospel of Mark. So I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've worked our way through the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 1. And we'll begin to look at verse 21 through to verse 28 this morning. So follow along with me in your Bibles as I read from Mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. The word of God says, with all authority, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Verse 26, throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. So that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you having worshipped you in song. 
sung you praises, having worshipped you in giving, sacrificially of what you've blessed us with, in prayer and communion. And now we continue to worship you in your word. Would you please help us as your people who want to be constantly changing, who want to be constantly growing, who want to be constantly found faithful to be pleasing in your sight. Would you help us, Lord God? In Jesus' name, Amen. We've looked in recent weeks at verses 14 and 15 when we saw that Jesus indeed came saying and preaching the gospel and the content of that was that he was saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we saw also that he called the first four disciples in verses 16 and 20. And he gave him that great integral aim of all of Christian life and that is to be fishers of men. His authority was on display when he called the first four as king, calling his servants to himself to bring in his kingdom. And now this morning in verses 21 to 28, Jesus displays his authority. In our passage this morning, we will see four features, four aspects to this authority. And I want to begin by giving you the first heading. It's the context of his teaching with authority. The context of his teaching with authority. Look at verse 21. It says, they, they went. They is obviously referring to Jesus and the four fishermen now called to be fishers of men. That's Peter, who's Simon. Andrew, James and John. And they're following Jesus into a place called Capernaum. And Capernaum was a town on the northwest edge of the Sea of Galilee, which, remember, is a lake, but it's called both a sea and a lake. Very large sea. And Capernaum was like most townships situated on the Sea of Galilee. It was heavily involved in the fishing industry. We saw that. But Capernaum was a, was, a, was a greater bustling city than most, town than most. It was a, situated on an incredibly busy Roman road. And it was here that Jesus would come out of the complete and utter obscurity of little old unknown Nazareth and enter into a bustling town as he began his ministry. He was beginning to enter out of the obscurity and into the public eye. You see, because a Messiah who came to seek and save that which is lost, he simply cannot do that constantly living in obscurity, living in some hideaway place. He needs to get out and get busy. So Jesus, along with the first four, enters this town, which he will make the base of his ministry, his Galilean ministry, this town. Look there in verse 21. They went into Capernaum and immediately... We see Mark continuing his theme of using the word immediately. 
He does this, he uses phrases, common phrase that include the words and repeatedly, they, then, they went out immediately because he wants to convey in a short, fast, loud kind of way, he wants us to see the pace and constant activity of the servant king who's serving and reigning and proclaiming his message of repentance and faith and the coming kingdom of God. And in doing so, Jesus would then begin to showcase his complete and utter and amazing and unique authority. His authority. So the context of this teaching, this displays his authority, is in Capernaum on the Sabbath in the synagogue. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he began to teach. Now, if you just read Mark's Gospel, you would think that this was the first time that Jesus entered into a synagogue and began to teach. But it's not. Luke chapter 4 tells us that when Jesus had been tempted by Satan and had withstood the assaults of that in his humanity, we looked at that, that he's a champion, so as to be a perfect substitute for us. Luke tells us that after that, he then spent a year, you recall, there was that year gap between verses 13 and 14 in Mark chapter 1. We looked at that. Jesus ministered about the place. Before he entered into Galilee preaching, he ministered about the place. And it was during that time, Luke chapter 4 tells us, that he entered into the synagogue of Nazareth. And he taught there. And he unfolded the scripture there. And he recounted the times of Israel in the days of Elijah there. And verse 28 of Luke chapter 4 says this, And all the people were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on, on which their city had been built to throw him off the cliff. That's the first time Jesus preached in a synagogue. Nazareth, in his hometown, they kicked him out. They sent him on his way. They tried to kill him. But he got out of there. And with his first four following along, he set up base in Capernaum. It became his new home. In fact, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 says that Capernaum is his own city. After all, Capernaum would be the place where Christ would perform many, many miracles. And sadly, it would also be the place where people would reject him as well. The suffering servant king, living a life marked with difficulty and rejection, all while trying to help. All while trying to help. That's often the lot for the faithful Christian, isn't it? For the pastor, for the elder, for the faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Trying to help. If it was Christ's lot, often it's our lot too. So having been booted out of the synagogue in his own hometown, Christ enters a new city and a new synagogue. And we read there in verse 21 that he opened the scripture there and began to teach. After all, that's why he came, right? You recall in verse 38, look at verse 38 of chapter 1. He said to them, 
Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Look at verse 39. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So here, Jesus enters the synagogue in verse 21 in Capernaum and began to teach and began to preach. A little bit about a synagogue. A synagogue was a limestone white building built out of limestone. <laughs> Just said that. <laughs> they stood in direct contrast in colour to that of the homes of the day. The homes of the day were tar pitch, kind of black in colour. And so in these towns you had these tar pitched homes, and then, but then you had this limestone brick white synagogue. The word synagogue is a transliteration of the Greek word that means assembly or gathering place. And a synagogue was used for a place of worship, obviously, on the Sabbath day, the Shabbat on Saturday. It was used as a school during the week. It was used as a courthouse for minor courthouse and court cases. And the whole notion of a synagogue came about after the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And it was here at the synagogue, at the gathering place in the town, that the Jews would gather for prayers, the reading of the scripture, the Old Testament, and for the teaching of the scripture. Each synagogue had a man who was designated as the ruler of the synagogue. He was like the church administrator of our day. We'd call him Ian Ellis. He ran the place logistically. And while not preaching himself, this ruler of the synagogue, he would invite local rabbis to come and expound the Torah. And so that's how Jesus ended up teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus utilized the tradition to preach and to proclaim the coming kingdom. And call all men everywhere to repent of their sin and believe. That's the context. That's the setting for the teaching of Jesus at the start of his ministry. This teaching would rock those assembled at the synagogue in Capernaum on this Sabbath day. Things would change forever. Saturdays and Sabbaths, Shabbat would have come and gone for years and years and years now. But now, now the setting and the context for something that had never taken place, that had never been heard, never been seen, would occur. Jesus was about to declare and to display his complete and utter unique authority. Understand, though, that this was still, obviously, Old Testament times. Old Testament times, which means that the Mosaic law, which isn't bound, binding upon us as New Covenant believers, the Mosaic law was in full effect. So Jews would gather together on the Sabbath day in the synagogue to worship. Yet as they prepared on this morning... Things were about to change. For on this Sabbath day, the king would enter. And on this Sabbath day, the king would stand. 
And the king would read Scripture. And then the king would sit down. As was the custom with rabbis in the day, when they sat down, that's when they began to teach. That's when they really began to have everyone's attention. You recall Jesus went up onto the mountain and sat down, it says, and then began to teach. It's the custom of a rabbi. The king would enter on this Sabbath day and the king would teach. And look in verse 22. They were amazed at his teaching. Amazed. So the context for the teaching of Jesus was in the synagogue at Capernaum on the Sabbath day. That's first. And second, I want us to see in verse 22, the conduct of his teaching with authority. We've seen the context of his teaching with authority. And now in verse 22, the conduct of his teaching with authority. What manner was this? They were amazed at his teaching. There was something about Jesus' teaching and preaching in the synagogue in Capernaum that caused amazement, that caused astonishment. And we sometimes use the word amazing lightly now, right? A little bit like awesome or epic. Oh, that was amazing. Talking about something not amazing like the latest flavor of yogurt or the latest flavor of monster energy drink or something like that. Oh, that was amazing. That's not what's being conveyed here. The Greek conveys the idea of this word amazement or astonishment of being overwhelmed, struck, to receive a blow, to be knocked out of your senses is what the word conveys. So when you read that there, they were, they were literally knocked out of their senses at his teaching. This was more than just, what a great teacher this Sabbath. It was, whoa, I am undone. Whoa, what authority. What a difference to the scribes who normally come. What new teaching is this? What authority, what doctrine, what difference? They're out of their senses. You see, by Jesus' conduct in his teaching, he highlighted a contrast between he and the scribes. Look at verse 22. It says, They were amazed at his teaching, knocked out of their senses by his teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Not as the scribes. They were astonished at his doctrine and no doubt in his delivery. Jesus wasn't a lecturer. There was an urgency and a passion in the delivery and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, where there is no preaching, where there is no passion, rather, there is no preaching. They were astounded, no doubt, at his doctrine. They were astounded, no doubt, about who this man and the way in which he delivered it. Mark doesn't give us the content of Jesus' teaching. He just tells us that Jesus' teaching struck them with such a blow that it knocked them out of their normal state of mind. 
And that was because Jesus' teaching was marked by authority and was nothing like the scribes. To understand that properly, we need to understand what was going on at this time. You see, this was a day when the words of men carried more weight than the words of God. What do I mean by that? Well, the scribes had built their authority upon the words of other scribes and other rabbis. You see, rabbis and scribes had commented on what the meaning of the Old Testament passages meant for years and the supposed meaning was often just based upon what such and such rabbi or such and such scribe had said. In fact, when the scribes taught in the synagogue, they commonly just read what the other scribes had said about the passage. And there were even times when the rabbis themselves disagreed about what the scripture taught. And when that happened, it was the rabbis just would quote both opinions, and that's all they were, mere just opinions. They would just present before the people both opinions, and in doing so would only lead to increased confusion and mix-up because the scribes taught without any certainty at all. These scribes just parroted man's word about man's word. And the culture was just um and ah. There was no conviction. There was no unction. There was absolutely no thus saith the Lord. There was just peddled uncertainty under the banner of religion. But Jesus, Jesus spoke with authority. With Jesus there was no I think so. It was always, I know so. And the people were astounded. Jesus would go into the synagogue and unfold the true meaning of the Scripture with complete and utter certainty. And they would hear, those in attendance on the Sabbath, likely, who knows, for the first time, the true meaning of the Word of God, spoken from the very lips of God. Certainty and truth of the Word of God flowing forth from His mouth, from the One who is the Word of God. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching, but part of the authority there that was so striking surely would have included the teaching of the rival of the kingdom of God. The call to repent, the call to believe the gospel, the good news, the call to enter into the kingdom of God. And he preached with all authority and certainty. So, in contrast to the scribes who peddled doubt, Christ preached certainty. He preached with authority. There was, as I said, no, I think so from Jesus but only I know so from Jesus. When you and I share the Word of God, when we unfold its meaning, when we call others to turn away from their sin, when we tell of a certain future hope and salvation through Jesus Christ alone, 
When you and I call others to follow Jesus Christ with their life, we do so with the authority of the Word of God. Have you ever met anyone who you tell that you know you're going to heaven and they profess to be a Christian and they say, well, how do you know? Well, I know because the Bible tells me so. When you think about it, we live in a day not too dissimilar to this one in in at least one sense. We have those who teach frequently on big platforms and little platforms all over the world, all over the nation and all over our community in the name of Christianity who peddle uncertainty and doubt. Liberal churches, liberal Bible colleges, liberal pastors, liberal preachers, liberal professing believers who peddle, I think so. That's what so-and-so says. May we... As the people of God, by the authority of the Word of God, boldly declare, I know so. For the Bible tells me so. There is no papacy, papacy. There is no pope. There's no creed. There's no confession that receives my authority except the Word of God. You and I are nothing. Nothing. You and I are nothing. But when we faithfully handle the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God, we have authority. Outside of that, we have no authority. When we teach and share and proclaim the Word of God, we do so in the authority of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the context of this authority, this teaching, And Jesus was in this context of man's word trumping God's word. And in the midst of that context, the conduct of Jesus was to proclaim the word of God. Was to declare the meaning of the word of God with certainty and conviction. And he did so in contrast to the scribes. So while Jesus is there, he's teaching with authority and the people's minds are being blown out of their heads. We've seen the conduct and the context, and we're about to see, thirdly, the power of His authority. The power of His authority. Look at verse 23. It says, just then. Just then, in verse 23. While Jesus was teaching... While he was teaching with authority, with his authoritative declaration, just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out. Jesus proclaims the truth and this stirred demonic opposition. A man who was just sitting there in the synagogue obviously not appearing any different to anyone else, leaps up and starts to scream and cry out with a loud voice. It's here that we see Jesus' complete authority played out. He had just displayed his authority over the physical realm, the scribes, 
And now he's about to display his authority over the spiritual realm also. As this man with an unclean spirit cries out. An unclean spirit. What is that? Unclean spirit. Unclean spirit's a term in synonymous use with demon. Specifically, an immoral, wicked spirit. A fallen angel is what a demon is. A fallen angel that once worshipped God, who is now in rebellion against God, who now serves Satan. That's what a demon is. That's what an unclean spirit is. And that is what possessed this man. That is what controlled this man. That is what it entered into this man. And bound him up. Infiltrated the very spirit of this man and bound him up. And here this man sits and Jesus is teaching with all authority in complete amazement of the people in contrast to the scribes and this evokes a response from the demonic realm. Steve Lawson, who is our impact speaker this year, one of them, he tells a story of visiting Grace Community Church in Los Angeles when Dr. MacArthur was in Luke chapter 6 walking through this passage and he's sitting on the front row and he said unless he was sitting on the front row he wouldn't have believed it but as the pastor was preaching through the text a woman stood up and with a loud voice began to shriek and cry out and point and say not him not him not him and then she ran out of the church When the truth is proclaimed, demons are evoked. And sometimes there's a response. I want to note the response of the demon. It's primarily one of fear and one of recognition. Look at verse 24. This is what this demon cried out, shrieked. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So in the quiet of a synagogue, while the king preaches, a demon arises. The demon, using the vocal cords of a man, cries out with a shriek and he identifies... Jesus for who he truly is. The God-man. Note there he says, Jesus of Nazareth. That's an identification of his humanity. Then he says, the Holy One of God. That's his divinity. The term Holy One uh, is a term used of God himself. This demon knew exactly who Jesus was. This demon was in fear. What business do we have with each other? Have you come to destroy us? Was the fearful response. Note the plural there, us. This demon was freaking out in fear and speaking for the entire demonic realm, for all the demons. Have you come to destroy us? 
The sad irony here is that the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. And yet they can't be saved because their destination is hell. But the people who can be saved didn't recognize Jesus for who He is. What do we see here? Well, this is a clear response to the proclamation of the truth. And anytime that happens, there is generally satanic opposition in one way or the other. And Satan is way more subtle and way more deceitful these days. When you and I share the truth, when you and I preach the truth, the enemy stands in opposition. And I want you to notice that the demon went to the synagogue. (laughs) Demons go to church too. And where the pulpit proclaims, I think so, they can settle and subtly move among the people and subtly have their way in the life of the people. Yet when the church opens the scripture and heralds the truth and the pulpit proclaims, not I think so, but with the authority of the word of God, we know so. There will be satanic opposition as the demons aren't comfortable. It will evoke a response. And the only way to drive out the attacks of the enemy out from the dark corners that they hide in is to proclaim the truth and let the light of the truth shine upon. And that's what Jesus does here in the synagogue. And just a side note. There is zero evidence in Scripture to believe that a Christian can be possessed by a demon. Zero. None. In fact, it's the contrary. A Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We can be influenced and deceived by demons, when we toy with sin, when we play with sin, when we're entangled habitually in sin, when we live worldly lives, when we don't pursue godly living, when we aren't word-filled, when we aren't prayer-filled. We can be influenced. And when a church is filled with people who are not being filled with the Word of God, which means that's how you are filled with the Spirit of God, and we're not living a prayer-filled life, we're not actually fishing for those that are lost, praying, living a holy life, demons can cause havoc in a local assembly. Each of us must live in a way where we resist the devil, knowing that when we do, he will flee from us. But a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. So, Jesus, here displays not only his authority in word, but also in deed. Not only in word by his teaching, but now by deeds in his deliverance of this demon. Look at verse 25. It says, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. I won't tell you what that literally means in the Greek, because then it might give you license to speak a certain way that isn't fitting for a Christian to speak. 
But Jesus was very strong there when he said, be quiet. And then he commanded the Spirit and he said, and come out of him. This is a battle between heaven and hell in the synagogue. A battle that still rages for us today. Satan and his forces want you and I to be overcome, to be taken over, to be downcast, to be rendered ineffective. And here, our king defeats the demon with a word. We are on the winning side. With Christ, we don't need victory because we have victory. We need to appropriate that by living a spirit-filled life, fully armoured, with a life of holiness and integrity, because the battle still continues for us. But we see there in verse 25, our king slay a demon on the path to victory. Complete authority from Christ the king on display. Look at verse 26. This is the result of the authority of the king. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Jesus said, come out. The demon came out. Convulsions and loud cries of terror. Whenever you read about demons being cast out, that's the fruit of it. That's the response of it. Why? Because due to the demonic spirit being so deeply ingrained and tangled with that man or woman's spirit, there's a violent exit. But note with Jesus, there's no battle with this demon. This was a one-sided fight. He spoke a word, and with all authority, it happened. The man was freed of the demon. Jesus Christ, authority in word and authority in deed is what he displays here. Jesus' power was on display and the people took notice. And that's where lastly we see the final point, the reaction to his authority. In verses 27 and 28. The reaction to his authority. We've seen the context in which he taught. We've seen the conduct in how he taught. We've seen the power of his authority on display. And now let's see the reaction to his authority. Look at verse 27. It says, they were all amazed. They were all amazed. And here you see two different reactions. The demon was terrified. The people were amazed. Two groups that just saw the same thing. And heard the same thing. Gave two different responses. Why? The demons knew the truth about who Jesus was. In fact, they had been with and seen Jesus before the world was. The people, they were amazed. Astonished even. Knocked out of their senses even. And sad to say, that isn't enough. For when we see the truth about Jesus, when we see the holiness of Jesus, 
which then, seeing the holiness of Jesus and for Jesus for who He really is, leads to a clear understanding of the vile sinfulness of our lives. We don't stand in amazement. We bow in reverential fear. We acknowledge that Jesus, the Son of God and King of Kings, is amazing for sure. But His holiness and His righteousness and His authority brings us low before Him in repentance and acknowledgement for who He is. And sadly, on this day in Capernaum, that wasn't the response of the people. There was no reverence or fear from the people. Instead, look at verse 27. They debated among themselves. Sure, they just observed something that shocked them. Something new. Look at the end of verse 27. What is this? A new teaching with authority. Even the unclean spirits obey Him. They were astonished in what they'd seen. But they whispered when they should have worshipped. They had just seen and heard the King of Kings, the Holy One of God, teach truth and defeat the demonic right before their eyes, and instead of bowing the knee, they wagged their tongues. And they just debated among themselves. We can be like that too, can we not? We hear the Word of God, and instead of bowing before Him and falling under the authority of the Word of God that we've just read, we look elsewhere, we get distracted, we wag our tongues, what should have been a life-changing bombshell moment as the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God was revealed to us, we just get distracted. The people who are in that synagogue on that day were just talking among themselves instead of talking to Jesus Christ. Those people in that synagogue We're not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you sit here this morning and you haven't yet given your life to Jesus Christ or by the authority of the Word of God you reveal that your profession is a false one, would you no longer whisper and debate? Would you worship and bow? First John chapter 3, verse 8, the Son of Man came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Are you yet to bow the knee to Jesus this morning? This Jesus who was put upon a cross, this Jesus who 
paid the penalty for all those that would believe in Him, who went to the cross willingly to die, to save, who rose again, who if you put your faith in Him and faith alone in Him and trust and trust alone in Him, He will forgive you of your sin and you will have eternal life and peace with God. Would you do that this morning? Whatever age you are, whatever age you are. God was in the synagogue that day and the people missed Him. Don't miss Him today. He's here. His word is preached. He is not silent. You have heard His voice. As has been well said, you don't need a fresh word from God. You just need to read your Bible. People have worshipped God here this morning. The people of God have gathered here this morning and worshipped to be equipped. And now in closing, look at verse 28. It says, Immediately news about Him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. What news? What news? Well, the news that Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter's son, he doesn't teach like our scribes saying, I think so. He says, I know so. And he he casts out demons and they obey him. He has a unique authority. That's the news. Will you debate and whisper about who he may be? Or will you bow down and worship him for who he is? God with all authority. And for those of us who sit under his authority, and those of us who have given our lives to him, have seen him for who He truly is, the Holy One of God. And as a result of His holiness, we've seen our sin, we've seen our need for Him. Dear brother and dear sister, know that when you and I minister the Word of God, and when you and I go out and make disciples and teach them to obey all that has been commanded of them, when you and I go out into the highways and byways and fish for men and women, when you and I minister to the downhearted and the downbroken among our church family, when you and I meet with those that are downcast and hurting, we don't open up an opinion. We open up and minister in the authority of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, you are a good and awesome God. And we delight to together to worship. Father, we are a sinful people. Please forgive us for our sins against you, Lord, of which there are many. 
Lord, we know that when we confess our sins, You are faithful. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we want to live under Your authority. We want to identify any area in our life that isn't under Your authority, whether it's our tongue, whether it's our mind, whether it's our attitude, whether it's our submission to our spouse or submission to leadership in the church, whatever it might be, our bosses, whatever it might be, Lord, if there's any area in our life, may we identify it that isn't under Your authority. May we turn away from that. We thank You that we sent Your Son to die and that on His way to die, He taught with authority. He exercised and displayed His authority to identify who He was, the Son of God. And Lord, You've flooded us with Your love that we are made the children of God. May we leave here eager to share and minister in the authority of the Word of God. But before we do, Lord, may we gather as Your people and fellowship with one another, delighting in You, our Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen.